to Between Sundays. I'm Tyler, and even though my faith has been tested, my hoopamane is now has a chance to grow. Tim's here to glaze our eyes and talk about a sermon focused on harmful theologies. But before any troubles of any kind come our way, and now that they've questioned my integrity and virtue, let's welcome in our favorite dispensational futurist, escapists, Marin and Tim. Good day, guys. Good Lord. You lost me at Tim's here to glaze our eyes. Yeah. Oh my goodness, yeah. Tyler. Yeah. Big topic today, guys. One of your best ones yet. <laughs> wow. No Barry today. He's doing a he's doing senior pastor stuff and we just couldn't wait anymore. Can't wait for him. Right. Uh, we didn't do it last week. We didn't do it last week just because, you know, meetings, church stuff, working. And uh we were at risk for that again this week, but we said, no, Barry, we're going on without you. So Barry's not here. We wish him well. He'll be back next week. Um, guys, how are you guys doing? We, we can make this quick because we got a lot of stuff to talk about with uh, with the sermon. So lightning round. How are you guys doing? Hanging in there. I think that's going to be the answer every I week for the next here. 18 weeks or so. Right. Hanging, Hanging in. in there. Hanging yeah. in there. Yeah. How about you? Well, fine. We are officially in the phase of parenting where fighting is happening amongst brothers. Already? Yeah. Well, it's one is very one sided. Because, OK, just remind us, how old is Lane? Lane and how is old one is year old. He just turned one last month. Milo's three. And if Lane is holding a toy that Milo wants, Milo rips it out of his hands. Lane screams. My, Lane hits Milo, Milo starts yelling at him and then everybody's crying. Wow. So I need friends at the pod, man. I need you guys to come <laughs> tell me what I'm supposed to do because I'm losing my mind. It's every day. There's just like, it's just not a good time. <laughs> it's well, not a good time. When I was so. growing up, I'll tell you what my, uh, <laughs> my father's family would have done. Did. <laughs> yeah. They put little boxing gloves on us. Oh, no way. We were, nah, yeah. My dad and his brothers were all pugilists. I had to go box when I was a certain age. And rough and tumble. Um, yeah. So, like, fighting is a good, was a great sign among brothers. And you just get little boxing gloves and t- give them a few tips and just let Man, them we gotta, pound it out. That's what we got to <laughs> figure it out because yeah. I was, uh, it's, there's, there's crying. There's crying in my house probably 90% of the time now. Just crying. Just someone, whether it's me <laughs> or the children, someone is crying. <laughs> well, doesn't Lane like outweigh Milo by yeah, now? Well, yeah, the well, that's part of it. Lane hits Milo. Milo starts screaming at Lane. Lane ends up like sitting on Milo and Milo can't get him <laughs> off of him. And yeah. I'm like, dude, you are two years older. They weigh the same, though. But I'm sorry, yeah. Tyler. These are the glory days. Yeah. You might not realize it, but they're the I don't glory days. It. I don't realize it. I need help. <laughs> Friends of the pod, <laughs> assemble. All right. Guys, we are in week three of our Credibility Gap series. Week one was focused on hypocrisy. Week two focused on idolatry, and this week we focused on bad theology. And if you need a refresher, credibility gap, we define it kind of as the things or the perceptions that uh, non-Christians or the world has about Christianity and the church that are uh, negative, 
things that are keeping them from even being interested in God that would make them disillusioned or even hostile toward the church. And so uh, this week we focused on bad theology. Tim's here because he gave the sermon. Uh, Tim, you focus primarily on James chapter one, verses two through five. Um, For anybody who hasn't seen it or listened to it yet, what would you say was kind of the primary big idea that you wanted everybody to hear? Well, I just wanted to, the big idea to be that we need to be very careful before we make strong statements about what God has said and what God has promised and how we use the Bible in particular to do that because um, so much of what people say sound can sound ridiculous to people outside of the faith who don't have any context. And I don't mean like context in the Bible, but any context for the way that the Bible should be used or what the Bible is or anything. And when people start dropping, well, in the Bible, it says, they don't know that. And then if you just look up a hunk and read it, it kind of looks like it says that you can end up saying all kinds of stuff to people. And I know that much of what passes for doctrine grows out of bigger ideas, the bigger theological foundational theological notions that lead us to these doctrines, which don't have any basis in reality. And so I, I was just trying to get, I mean, that sermon was just to give people a taste of how things can go South. Um, I did ruffle some feathers on my stuff about end times, but you always, did you? Yeah, I've gotten some emails, but they've. The bigger thing is that they can't, people just have never heard anybody say mm-hmm. anything else than just the straight futurist position, and I'm not bad mouthing the futurist position. I'm just saying that there are a whole lot of people who've studied the Bible just as long and as hard and for seri- and as seriously as the people who who agree with the futurist position who find it patently wrong and they have very different positions on the prophecy. It's not like I'm not about, I don't believe in prophecy or that I was trying to say we, we shouldn't believe in prophecy. We don't even know if the futurist position is really prophecy. We mm. don't know that. And the only reason they knew that the old Testament prophecy was prophecy was because it actually said something to the people at the time and then what they said would happen, happened. There's a lot of Old Old Testament time period prophecy that's not in the Bible because it never happened. Mm, yeah. well, first of all, I, I don't think you can mention the end times at all without ruffling somebody's feathers. It just seems to be like one of those those touchy kind of open to multiple interpretations sections of the Bible where, you know, I I I know what my church believed when I came up, you know, as a youth, as a child, I know what my parents believed about the, the end times as I was coming up as a child. And especially back in like the early nineties and stuff, that's when like we were, somebody mentioned it this morning in a meeting we were in the, the Frank Peretti books came out this present darkness. And it, it seemed to be um, almost a fad at the time that the church was so, or at least the church where I lived was so overly obsessed with things pertaining to the end time. So I just feel like it's always been one of the more touchy 
areas to even explore, um, especially in a congregation as large as ours, where people come from all different kinds of Christian backgrounds and they might have grown up believing one thing or another. But one of the things you said, and I've heard you say this before, and this really blew my mind the first time I heard you say it, but you said that this futurist position was really only created in the 1830s. Yeah, that was my note too. That it's relatively new in the grand scheme of uh, interpretations of revelation and Christianity. Yeah. John or John or Charles Nelson Darby. I can't remember his first name off the top of my head, but he was a, an Irish dispensationalist, heavy duty, hyper dispensationalist. And when he, he came up with this in response primarily to, to Darwin's theory of evolution, because Darwin marginalized the church because he he pushed out the the Genesis creation story from being relevant. And suddenly the church found itself in a position where it wasn't it used to be that theology was the the queen of all studies. You studied everything and then you studied theology to draw all study together. And suddenly the queen had been taken off of her throne and they were, and there were two responses. One was systematic theology, which was an attempt to scientificize, if you make scientific, the study of the scripture. And the other one was this, well, Darby came up with it, but they didn't believe him at all because he came up with taking this bit and this bit and he put it all together and came up with that process but they didn't accept him at all in Europe. And so he came to North America and in the North American church, they bought it, absolutely bought it. Mm. And so it just became because what it said was, yeah, Darwin may be out there telling us we don't know what's real, but we know that we're going to get out of here and leave all of you to this other stuff. And and it just rung true. Now, it could be right. But I, I don't we don't know if prophecy is correct until there's prophetic mm-hmm. uh, in terms of future telling. Some prophecy is not future telling. It is just teaching. But other prophets. But when we think of prophecy, generally, we think of that which is going to happen in the future. And we will only. And this is the reason that it's so hyper in the in this period. And it was, especially when I was younger, was because Israel became a nation again. Right. And when Israel became a nation again, then everybody started to see mm-hmm. it was going to happen really soon. And mm-hmm. because there is a prophecy, I don't know where it is, but it says when Israel is regathered, mm-hmm. they were, this generation will not depart until we see the, this or that. And I don't. Yes, that's the scripture that I heard all growing up, and, that that generation will not perish from the earth. Right. And that I need to look that up. But I mean, I used to know this off the top of my head, but I don't believe that that passage had anything to do necessarily with the future. I think it was actually something that happened in Old Testament times. And mm. So it's like and and people say, well, prophecy can have present day meaning and future meaning. And that's true because it's true about Jesus himself. But as I said in my sermon, nobody was paying attention to the prophecies that actually spoke of Jesus. They mm-hmm. still aren't. The Jews still reject almost all of our understanding about the Messiah. 
when we talk about passages that point to Jesus and go, can't you see this? They go, that's not what that's talking about. Mm-hmm. And Well, and I love that you broke it down all the way down. You said the point is he is coming back. Yeah. We don't know when. But when we major in this stuff, when we make this our focus, it can so easily get us off track from the things in the here and now that we should be focusing on. And I I feel like there must have been some other people in the room. I was, of course, at the Fishers campus, but I feel like there must have been other people in the room who were brought up the way I was brought up because I literally heard someone gasp when you said that, Tim, that we are not just living for a trumpet blast. Somebody gasped and said Finally. Wow. (laughs) Well, I got a lot of, I got a lot, I've gotten a lot of response about this one and it's almost all the same. Not one person, one person was very polite, but I don't think that person quite understood what I was trying to say that, um, their, their point was that this prof, the prof prophetic stuff that we're supposed to believe about the future is an apologetic. What? That's exactly the opposite of what I was saying. It's not an mm. apologetic until it happens. Mm. And, um, and I've had tons of people write to me and say, thank you. I was mm-hmm. scared to death by some movie I saw in junior high. About <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The Left Behind. Scary you know, movie. Cameron was yeah. in it. I didn't know what was happening. Kirk Cameron was in it. And, and I, yeah, I've been getting lots of that stuff from people or people who said, have said my junior high child will never experience what I did and was excited about what you said and said that or when I was a high school kid and uh, their small group talked about, they came back and had such a great conversation about how they want to be the right kind of people to tell people about Jesus. I'm thinking, how did they get that out of that? But maybe Mm. it just, it's, if nothing else, it gives us a, it gives us permission to think a little longer about these things and what's really important. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so, You focused on two primary harmful theologies. One, we've been talking about to this point, the theologies about the end times, and the other one was inappropriate views of the Bible, right? Right, and I want to be really careful. It's only harmful when we focus on it so much that we ignore the call to be ambassadors for Christ in the present. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the way it becomes harmful because— it becomes our primary means of, of for living and and people who don't know Jesus. I'll never forget being in high school, talking to some Jewish friend about how I was pretty sure the Jews all got in when the beast came and his eyes being like, what, what beast? And I go, well, yeah. you know, the. This, you know, it just gets worse. (laughs) The dragon, you know, the dragon. Yeah, yeah. It's like, what planet? It's got 10 heads, man. 10 heads. What planet are you living on? So you talked about the escapist theology, which is basically like, this is not my home. I'm living for heaven, right? That's probably. I'm living to get out of here. It's. Yeah. Yeah. And it's. It's easy. Like I I used to work for a guy who identified as an atheist and this escapist theology is why 
he this is why he identified as an atheist because he said i mean his he sent his daughters to like catholic school he and he he owned his own business but he hired a bunch of uh faith filled people to work for him but he still identified as an atheist and this is why is because the people that he knew he would always comment that christians he knew or saw like lived in a way that they behaved when the going gets tough it doesn't totally matter to them because heaven is their home and it's not on earth and it's all so gonna burn them, yeah and it made them not care about like you you mentioned it made them not care about the planet or the people who wished <laughs> who wished that they cared a little bit more about sharing the same planet. And he just never could understand. He's like, I don't know why I would want to believe, share those beliefs with people who don't live in the present. They're mm. just living for something that um, they're living for something in the future at the expense of everyone that is in their present. So, yeah. I, I'm going to make a really horrific and we'll probably get backlash on this, but you know that when guys blow themselves up in suicide bombs in the, in Islam, mm. it's because they know they're going to get to go to heaven mm. and yeah. get the, they'll get in without judgment and they'll get in. Uh, it's yeah, because yeah. of the way they do. And it's, we're not the same in any manner, but it's mm. still a notion that denies that anybody else might be affected by what I do because I'm going to get something because of who I am kind of thing. If that's the same kind of, you know, it's the same sort of thing. And I'm not, mm. I'm not making any straight comparison, but it does lead you to, if you're so fixated on something in a manner that like that, that, that you just don't care about that, which is around you as much anymore. You can do all, you can think all kinds of stuff. Now there aren't that many. I know I was brought up in a church where they said straight up that the earth was to be that Genesis told us to subdue the earth, which means take it by the throat and use it up hmm. because this, what this earth is not important to God because he's going to have to remake it because it's full of sin. Mm-hmm. So, and they said it straight up and yeah. Uh, yeah. I can count on zero hands. How many times I heard a message about creation care growing up <laughs> on zero hands. Huh? Never, never. Cause it was all going to burn. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're living in a pandemic, so that mentality is kind of very prevalent right now where it's like, I know a lot of people, um, that kind of just feel like it doesn't really matter because my destination is, is heaven and it doesn't matter if I get sick or you get sick or whatever. And, and, and I play, I'll refer to this group a couple of times, but I play board games with people that would identify as atheists. And right now that is their problem is, is Christians that seem to just not care about them and their health, uh, because they they are living for the future versus right now, and you're right. It, it's 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 not something that used to be. It's something that is right now. So, mm. um, so the the other thing you focused on, Tim, was um, an inappropriate view or reading or understanding of the Bible, and how do we how do we lovingly combat that? 
Hmm. I know that, you know, practically it's like, we're going to do these BYOB series that teach people how to read the Bible and how to understand it. But I know many people in, in my life I abide by, um, you know, using scripture as a weapon to defend their purposes and possibly even use like this verse that you were talking about prospering. Um, how do we close the credibility gap with those people or can we? Well, first off, those are, there are two groups of people you're talking about. You're talking mm-hmm. about people who misuse the scripture. Yeah. And then you're talking about people who hear people saying things that are actually a misuse mm. of scripture yep. and then are drawn away from the scripture. Okay. I'm just going to be straight. I cannot tell you how many times I had it happen to me a number of times this weekend. People say that makes so much more sense. What you just said, how come nobody ever told me that before? Yeah. I think the way that we combat it is that there's no conference. Now, if somebody wants to come into my office and argue about it, I'll talk to them about it. But I think the best way to do it is just to continually enrich their hearts and their lives. This is for Christians with a very careful approach to the scripture and they'll respond. They will respond appropriately. People who use the Bible for power are never going to, they're never going to respond appropriately to, to that, but we just have to be a bastion. We have the slow burn way of, we, Mm -hmm. we, we just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And suddenly they get enough information where the whole of their reading of the scripture changes and they, and their, their hearts change. I just think that for me, it's just been 28 years of, well, it's longer than that, but 28 years in the pastoral role at Grace, or 29 mm-hmm. years, I don't know, of <laughs> just continually staying the course. Yes, yeah. yes. And I think we're, we're, we're definitely seeing fruit of all of those years, Tim. Like you said, it is a slow burn, but I'll just give you an example I had never heard of the cultural background study Bible before I came to grace. And now it's my favorite Bible in about, and and it's because it gives us so much of that world behind the text and it helps us to place the scripture into its original context for its original reader. That's what makes it so good. And it enriches the way that we engage with the scriptures and study the Bible. Now I've seen two congregation members recently within the last month, obviously we just reopened, but within the last month walking around with that big old Bible, one of those people is a merge small group leader. And she was walking into merge Sunday night with a cultural background study Bible. And I can't tell you the smile on my face underneath my my mask, but (laughs) it's going, that kind of stuff is getting to the generation that's coming up after me. It's getting to my daughter. My daughter was at North Indies last service this past Sunday. um, And they just had one big worship kind of celebration. And so she didn't see your sermon, but my daughter went to the grace church app and read your notes and we talked about my um, notes. <laughs> we talked about harmful <laughs> theology, Tim, because of your notes. She's like, yeah, he said something about how people misuse that word about prosperity. And then it turns into prosperity gospel. And I'm like, you got all that from the notes? Wow. From the notes, Tim. We are doing it and we are seeing fruit of it. It is a slow burn, but we're seeing yeah. 
what's what's coming from all of those years of work? Well, I, um, I, I guess that makes me really happy because yeah. it's like I, that's been my life work. Hmm. So I, w- I was fortunate enough to get all this when I went to Cape and Ray back in the day. I studied my one of my professors was F.F. F. Bruce, and he was like the top scholar of the 20th century on exactly this. Hmm. He wrote all of the primary books on all this stuff. And you can't sit under that guy and not pick it up. I remember the day that it happened. I, it was um, I know I'm off target here, but he. When he said, he said this out of nowhere, he said, and Genesis was written to the Israelites who had just escaped from Egypt so that they would have a way to understand who this God was, who was leading them in the wilderness. And so everything you read needs to be figured through the, through the lens of people who just came out of slavery Mm. and just crossed the Red Sea And we're and this is the God revealing himself to them. And it's all about them. Its purpose was to tell them who God was. And you have to start there because you have to start there. And and suddenly the light just went off. It's like, well, that changes everything. That changes Mm -hmm. everything. So you said, oh, sorry. Go Go ahead. No, I'm done. Well, you said most Christians would say like the Bible is God's word and they mean it. Um, and they take it very seriously, but most Christians have no idea about how the Bible came to be or why it's authoritative or even how it should be and how it should be read. And my question, when I heard you say that is, is this the church's fault? Hmm. Is this because when uh, I just had things flooding back to me, like looking back at my high school days and wondering why I was never taught like how to budget or how to cut, how compound interest works or how to invest money or how insurance works or taxes or how to have successful dating relationships or how to fix a car or change an oil. Like that stuff was not talked about in high school. And I feel like it should be and, or do physical things with my life. Shout out to Jeff Gaffin. <laughs> Who just came through the door. That's hilarious. Is it the church's fault that most Christians don't have any idea how to read the Bible? I think so. I think what you have to do is you have to teach it in a way that it makes sense to people. And then you have to practice that, those things all the time. And you have to bring them up every once in a while. You have to bring stuff up continually in a manner so that you're not just lecturing people. But I mean, I'll be honest, the, the storyline of the canonization of scripture is not very interesting to very many. It's not interesting to a lot, <laughs> yeah. just simply because it's, it's a fairly complicated and, and I, I, process. I, and yet it, it's, it's, it, er, it makes it an earthy thing, which mm-hmm. all the Bible, it's just as earthy as the stories of the Bible are. And, Makes sense to me that it would be. I was thinking this weekend because I was watching. um, Oh, there's this awesome documentary. I've only seen the first half of it. So if the second half is terrible, please don't come for me. But I was watching a documentary on PBS called The Black Church. It's a Henry Louis Gates documentary. The whole family and I, we all we all sat down and watched the first half of this documentary. And they're talking about um, what it took 
for slaves to read the Bible. <laughs> they, they were in many cases um, prohibited right. from owning Bibles, prohibited from certainly reading Bibles. There are some stories um, in this documentary that talk about, you know, how they had to get really creative with how they even shared scriptures with one another or read the scriptures or had church services. And it just tells this story of an oppressed people who, by the way, really, really resonated with that whole Exodus motif, mm -hmm. but how they, how they took it upon themselves to determine in their own minds that they would read and grasp these scriptures and that these scriptures would unlock their freedom. And so I don't know. I think some in the church, big C church for so long, it's been a tradition just to pay someone else to do all their studying for them. Just, and I don't know that that's the fault of, you know, the church at large, as much as it's the fault of the people, Hmm. You just want somebody else to kind of spoon feed you whatever it is you want to hear. You don't really want to read it for yourself. You, you, you don't even really have to read it for yourself. If, if you've got somebody that, you know, especially you consider it's their job, it's their job yeah. to learn all that. And, and I'll just sit here and listen. But yet there are other groups of people, even to this day, especially oppressed groups of people who are giving their lives to be able to read this thing mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. so many of us take for granted. So I don't know that it's the fault of the church. I don't know if it's the fault of the people. I just know that I'm inspired by stories where um, people have sacrificed so much just to be able to engage yeah. um, with these scriptures that are so readily available to us. Well, and people sacrificed a great deal in the beginning so that mm -hmm. we'd have the text so we'd know what was actually written. That's absolutely true. I do think that some of this, um, it, I'll use the word very, I don't mean it pejoratively at all, but some ignorance about some of the things related to the Bible comes from the fact that the message of the Bible has been melted down to a very short message about salvation of your soul for eternity. Mm -hmm. And so many people have put their faith in that that and and it's true you do put your faith into that message but that it it's the end of the road and so the other stuff is unnecessary for salvation and eternity and things like that and so if you focus just simply on that as your responsibility to respond to god simply to that then the rest of it is you know, it, it, you can take it or leave it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think that that was, that's probably more of a past position or I, I don't run into that too much. Now, actually, most people who I run into are thankful when I talk to mm -hmm. them about the things that I just have had the privilege of studying and learning. Mm -hmm. I'm not yeah. special. I'm certainly not smarter than anybody else. It's just that I, I've been given the space mm. and the, uh, tools to be yeah. able to do this. And the other aspect is that I love the people of grace so much that I want to do it well. So, mm. yeah. So. Tim, why do you feel like these two harmful theologies have contributed, or do you feel like these two theologies have contributed the most to the widening of the credibility gap? Well, I think it's because the first one on the Bible is that 
the Bible gets thrown around like it's, I mean, we've had even in recent history, people using the Bible for political means. And when the Bible gets thrown around and what it's supposed to say thrown around in a world where most people are pretty ignorant about the Bible, then, then it, it becomes part of the weaponry of someone that you're not really sure you trust. Yeah. And so that's, that's the problem with the Bible. It's not the Bible's fault. It's the way that the Bible has been used. And so, then, and the, yeah, the other one is just that it gives people a completely different notion about their responsibilities to the world where we live in. Mm-hmm. Well, and I well, feel like you were saying over the, your sermon that you want, to equip the body of Grace Church to be able to explain some of these scriptures that are taken wildly out of context when their friends bring them up or whatever. This whole time we've been talking, I've been thinking about a scene in a now off the air sitcom, but 30 Rock had a scene where the lead female character had to read a scripture at somebody's wedding. And she was supposed to read, you know, Corinthians, the love chapter, but something (laughs) wild and zany happens and she has to stall for time. And so she starts flipping through the Bible and every page she flips to is like worse than the page before it. Like, you know, just like, and then they got him drunk and they lay with him. Like like the worst worst parts of the Bible. And that is out there in pop culture. I I know that I've seen that not just on that show where they will take something that's outrageous in the Bible and see, and just kind of use it for a punchline or ridicule or something sure. like that. Yeah, yeah. The assumption in the most of the world is, if you have a book that's called the good book, then everything in it is approval. You God approves of it. Mm-hmm. And the bottom line is, there's a ton of stuff that's in there because God doesn't approve of it, and He wants you to see what happened when you do that stupid thing. And so you get you get the we're not given these stories to emulate all the behavior and stuff. But if you take it out of the context, it will say, (laughs) and yeah, daughters are not supposed to get dad drunk and sleep with them. And everything went really south. The more you know. Write that down. Everything went really south when that happened. And, and God has said, don't do this. Mm -hmm. So when I heard, that we were doing this topic, this sermon topic, I had imagined us talking about theologies that like cause a lot of harm to people. Um, the guys I play board games with Mm. talk about things like they don't like Christians because we hold up sins as some sins worse than others. Like that's what I'm talking about this. Yeah. Or that Christians don't believe certain things about women or legalism or what, like fill in the blank. And there, there's a theology. Those aren't theologies though. Those are sort of doctrinal statements or they're statements of belief. Theologies are what theology means. Study of God, statements about God. And so Mm. I wanted to stick to big things that say something about God. That's what I talked about in the sermon too. Yeah. Okay. Because there's a theology that, tell me if this is a theology, that God abhors humanity, right? Isn't that a theology? I'm sure there are people who might believe that, but, but that would become, that would come from a very misguided use of the text. 
Okay. So but that's more like, that's more doctrinal. That's yeah. That's a doc. That's a doctrinal mm. position. Cause mm. I was, I was, I was waiting for the moment. I was like, all right, I'm thinking of my friends who have been married for decades and have not had intimacy between the two of them, between husband and wife, because in the church, when they were younger, they learned about lust and purity and it, they've been traumatized and it's prevented them from being, you know, that kind of stuff. And there are theology. So those are doctrinal. Those are dogmatic things. Yeah. Those are, um, those are, I suppose, you know, those words all get twisted around and used. Yeah, but, I don't, but I, that's, those are probably more predilections on the part of a preacher than they are anything legitimate. I don't, yeah. you know, I, I get what you're saying, but there's, this certainly doesn't equate to the way that God created mankind. The, yeah. The problem is this, and it always will be, and I didn't talk about it, but it's whether your Bible starts at Genesis 1 or whether your Bible starts at Genesis 3. If your, your Bible starts at Genesis 1, then you know what God intended, and he's working to bring it back. And if it starts at Genesis 3, then the world is really broken, and that all that God is doing is he's working in some manner with the brokenness uh, he's he's engaged with the brokenness in a different way than than he is than he is he's not trying to go back to something everything that happens after genesis 3 is what he wanted and he's working with all that sin mm. he's engaged with it and um and and uh, I've had real. We've had. I had. There was a pro, a very prominent theologian who went to Grace who who hated our position because he said God created sin and made it and used it and y- all kinds of stuff like that. And his Bible started at Genesis three. Wow! And he was unapologetic about it. And it it's just a mm. very different thing because once. Once your normal world is where people do terrible things to one another and all that, well, God can get in there and do it with us, with us hmm. to, to get his purposes accomplished. And that's just not what he's about. Or I don't think he is, but yeah. So that's less, less theology, I suppose. Than... That's huge though. I mean, that informs our entire stance toward the six broken places. Yeah. It informs the entire back to Eden series we had a year ago, you know, Call restoring back. what God had intended all along going back to Genesis. Yeah, one. That's I'll take credit for all of that. I mean, that was where my brain was coming in, mm-hmm. but it was simply because, I mean, Dave Rod and I talked about it at great length. I'm not going to say I thought up all of that stuff, but I was engaged with with him at great mm-hmm. length about that. And it changed everything about how we approached the world. So, I th- and it's a far more holistic yeah. uh, way to think about it. Because, because here's the thing, then everything that we read in the scripture can be switched to be that which God wanted or that God intended for other purposes. And I just can't imagine that some of the stuff that we read in the Bible, that the purpose of it is to tell, to make, give us something to try to figure out the mystery of why that horrible thing was what God wanted to have. Right. I'm, I'm almost all the way through. And he writes the day the revolution began. Right. 
And he talks so much about what Christ's death on the cross actually did. And what, what Tyler is saying is there's a whole group of people out there that believe that God is just vengeful and angry Mm -hmm. and hates mankind and was going to destroy mankind anyway. And then Jesus stepped in and was like, no, don't destroy them. And and now, and now we all get to go to heaven. The end. That's absolutely absolutely wrong. But, but N.T. Wright talks about a restoration of our original vocation. Right. Being, the hands and feet of Jesus in this world mm-hmm. and not like, like you said, not just living for a trumpet blast. So right. yeah. God rules. Yeah. Well, that's helpful. I think, I think, um, I think a lot of this too, a lot of these, the beliefs that I'm frustrated by with the church or that has infiltrated my board game group, or whatever um, stems from a misrepresentation or misreading and misunderstanding of scripture. And so therefore we come up with all these beliefs that are super harmful mm-hmm. to people. Right. And I think, I think too, though, when you're talking to people like that, Tyler, you can't let them do what they're accusing us of doing. Cause like, if you listen to Bill Maher or some of these people that are really anti-Christian, they do that all the time. They don't yeah. do the hard work either. The truth is that it's just hard work. Somebody mm. and and um, and so make sure that uh, it's always okay to say, "I get why you feel that way," but can you can we like look at it? Can yeah. we look at it together? And I said that in the sermon yes. because I think I think it's really important to stay in the room with people. We're not going to always come to to uh, the same conclusion at the end, but. But at least we we can try to figure it out together. Yeah. Because, yeah. and and it's okay to say, and that happened to tell us that should never happen. Yeah. 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 You said that you would start with the question, what passage are you talking about? You're, you said you want Grace Church to be helpful. The people of Grace Church need to be helpful. And mm-hmm. we can start by saying, what passage are you talking about? Cause like right. you said, they're, they're not necessarily doing the heavy lifting either. Um, some are, but some really aren't. And they don't even know what passage they're referring to. They don't know right. what they're talking about. Right. People often say to me, the Bible's just filled with all the hateful stuff about God. And I say, name three places. Give mm-hmm. me three. Give me your top seven. Well, I always say three because yeah. it's like, they're not going to be able to name three. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even name three just off the top of my head. And, um, and, but they are so dogmatic about it. Mm. And most people, most people who are not followers of Jesus are not spending a whole lot of time figuring the Bible out. Anyway, they just mm. go by sound bites and things that sound good to them. And they've had something happen. I'll never forget. I had a guy work for me. who was just furious with the church and, he was just furious about Christians. And, and so finally, one day I got him to just tell me what happened. Why are you so furious? Because he was brought up in a Baptist church in Southern Indiana. He goes, well, I had the lead part in the Christmas musical and the lady that was in charge decided that she wanted her son to sing it. And so she <laughs> took me out and I said, so you're complete freak out about the message of Jesus is completely ruined because you didn't get a part in the Christmas play at a small Southern Baptist church. (laughs) I mean, Southern Indiana Baptist church. And he was like, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that is the most petty, stupid thing I've ever heard. Let's grow up a little bit. And it shocked him. 
Mm. It shocked him because I was like, you're bigger than that. Yeah. And let's talk about the, let's talk about the real issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Well, you're preaching this week too. This back to back, right? Yeah. Man. All right. I think that Barry felt, and just to be honest about it, I think Barry felt that if we're going to talk about these kinds of things, probably the, the two of us should preach it primarily from a standpoint of we're going to ruffle feathers, as I said earlier. And yeah. we're, we have spoken with the greatest amount of authority over the longest period of time. And it was just to have those voices. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh yeah. Protect, no, I'm just, glad. It's not that Marin or Amy couldn't have done it. It's just, I'm not sitting here complaining, Tim, you take it. <laughs> I'll be honest. The next one is about, judging certain sins in a different way than, and most of what I'm doing is telling stories. Mm. I laid it on pretty heavy this last weekend and I'm, I'm telling stories around the passages and I'm telling three stories. And so naming names. No, but you know, (laughs) um, might as well. They're, they're just indicative of when, and it's all about what happened to me. Mm. And, and I don't do that very often, but all of the stories I'm telling that happened to me have grace. I've lived long enough that there's grace at the end. And so I can speak to the, instead of getting up and harping on something that was terrible that happened, I've had an opportunity to see when you do what God calls us to do in the end, the stories can change. Mm. And so I feel good about that. I feel, I feel good about that. And uh, it's not like me to talk about, you guys know me. I don't, I don't tell stories. You don't tell stories. Not about, (laughs) not in my sermons. I don't. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Not very often. I'm telling a, I'm telling three this time. Well, I'm excited because you are hands down the best storyteller I've ever heard. Oh, come on. Come on. Bring it. Bring it, Tim. Butter him right up. More stories. More stories. I just, no. Uh, Well, thanks for this message. I know, I know sometimes we give messages where it ruffles feathers, but I think the people of Grace Church appreciate, um, in general, I think it's, I think people appreciate, you know, the honest conversation. So thank you for, thank you for presenting it to us and, um, talking about it here. Yeah. I had one person who sent me a text that was so generous and kind. And if I could, uh, and the way he described the way I did it, if I was only half as, if that was only half true, then I feel the Holy spirit actually spoke into me and through me in a, in a manner that is, I'll use the word is uh, worthy of the calling. So so I, I felt, I mean, some people are going to disagree with me about that's especially about end time stuff, but, but I just don't want us to live in, 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 in fear or outside of the world that God has given to us. I think about this all the time that, we were born right now. And there are a lot of people who were born a long time before us and going to be born a long time after us. And we get this little space of time 
and we get to be together. Mm. And of all the billions of people in the world, we get to be together. And so I get to be, I get the, I get the gift of being able to talk about something that the grace people feel is the, probably the most important thing in their life. And I just want to make it life giving every time I open my mouth. Mm. And so that's, I just felt really, I went home from the service on Saturday night. And when I got home, I felt elated, not because I'd done a good job or anything, but that I felt I'd actually done what I'd been called to do. So mm. good. So. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna spend some time on this show asking you whether you were a Kirk Cameron left behind movie fan or a Nicolas Cage left behind movie fan <laughs> which one you preferred or, or, or a Larry Norman left behind oh yeah, yeah. Easy talk. A, a small relationship with Larry back in, this, <laughs> back in 1971 so no you don't tell stories <laughs> you know it's like I remember going to the NAMM show one time uh, I went to the NAMM show a lot and there was this guy in Night Ranger who's grabbed somebody whose picture was on every poster everywhere. And and I just was thinking, this guy must be amazing. And then when I met him, he was about four foot seven. And I thought, this guy is the person that, the, you know, he's like, and that's the same response I had when I met Larry Norman, because. I was in high school and I could have patted him on the top of the head and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, he was like changing the whole scene oh, no. of the world, Christian yeah. world with that one song. And he just didn't look like he deserved to be able to do that. <laughs> but that's probably not cool to say that stuff. It's fine. We'll cut that whole part out. Yeah. I wish all we'd right. all been ready. Hopefully Barry will be back with us next week and we will talk about, judgment um judging people for different sins and things like that timmy will be back with us hopefully next week yep but uh for now Marin, will you please send us out sure will do justly love mercy and walk humbly with your god and we'll see you on the other side of sunday